Hello, hello, hello. This is Editor Jake. I am jumping in real quick before passing it over to the Tinkerman themselves to let you know, to remind you if you already know, this is part two of a two-part review of November, uh, the Potter status, what he's in goal is, all kinds of Chelsea conversation, who's doing well, who's not doing well, how are the tactics, what is Chelsea's Potter ball. So much from the Tinkerman. Make sure you listen to part one before listening to this episode. Just go back. It should be the last thing in our pod feed. Then come to this one. Let's get into it. Now, we took stock of the season so far, and I know we've got a lot of content for more specifics coming up. Um, so I thought we'd just finish with it with the Tinkerman 10. Um, slightly different in that we've actually invited other people in to do these this time. So it's not just us asking each other. Um, <laughs> and, we, and we got loads. We got some really good ones. And to be honest, we're probably just going to reuse some um, in, in future because some of these were really, really good and we didn't get to use them. Um, uh, once we see a little bit more of Potter, for example, the should Lukaku come back one is one I'll be, I'll be interested to look at. Um, <laughs> number one from Prash CFC. Joe, what is potable? <laughs> oh God. Uh, can I, can I use your Griffin ball line here that you came up with a little while ago? Uh, no, that's, that's a little bit unfair at the moment. I, I don't really know. I mean, we've, we've got reference points at Brighton that it is, uh, like a, you know, it's a fast paced, you know, ball is moving quickly. It, it's progressive. It's exciting. It's attacking. There's, there's nice combination play. You know, there is, there's a bit of physicality in there. It, it's, it, it's, on paper, a nice style of football to, to watch. I think at the moment, I think you you kind of painted it best. You know, these 7,000 different player combinations and different different shapes that we're trying every game. You know, the the is he going to do the diamond or not diamond? You know, sort of question that, that seems to come up all the time. I don't think he really knows what, what his style of play is at the moment with this group of players. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't mind him not trying to sort of force the team to play a style of football into a structure that doesn't really suit them. But I think in a way that that Thomas Tuchel sort of fell into this sort of patient, pragmatic style that, that really fit the group that we had and, and, and was successful to a point, certainly much more successful in Europe. Um, I think Potter is going to have to find his own form of pragmatism to to sort of kickstart his, his sort of tenure here. Um, in the future, I, I would love to see the 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 back three system with you know the super super attacking aggressive wing backs and pace and power and and technique through midfield and lots of lots of different sort of in, intricacies in the final third and you know an ability to to sort of maybe you know kind of create a bit more than, than what we have done and 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 go to teams like City and, and and others and actually go there and be on the front foot and, and be more aggressive and and go toe to toe with them. Um, I don't know how far off that is. It's it's certainly, in my opinion, not going to happen the second half of the season. And and if it does, you know, then you have to really take your hats off to to Potter and just say that that's an incredible job. But I think without some serious investment in in the playing squad, and certainly when it comes to the profiles of players, you know, some some real drastic changes to what we have currently in the squad. I think Potable is going to be, a, you know, hopefully something that is incredibly pragmatic and just starts leading to to to, to you know this maybe sort of slightly cautious style of play, but but one that, that, that churns out results because second half of the season, it's, this isn't about watching exciting football or, or watching some sort of new kind of, you know, way of, of, of playing the game develop. It's about finishing in the top form and about finishing in the European places and, and having a bit of a rethink when it comes to the squad composition and then, and then having a little bit more contact time with the players over a, a pre-season period to, 
to potentially sort of embed some some new ideas. So potable, absolutely no idea. I, I do love the fact that that Yas calls it Griffin Bohr at times. Um, so yeah, I'll probably go with it. It's a bit of a hybrid between Griffin Bohr and, and, and Pragmatic. So I, I have absolutely no idea what potable is. I think there's a little bit of a Super Sunday. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? A Super Sunday not myth, but there's almost like a super Sunday um, effect that has happened to Potterball in that most people remember the Graham Potter performances um, against Manchester United, against uh, Manchester City, against Arsenal. Um, like the, the games where they were the underdog and all of their sort of bravery and attacks caught the bigger team by surprise. Um, and, and Chelsea as well. Um I think what's less, far less remembered is the atrocious nil-nil I went to against Brentford. Um, the sort of mid-table scraps of one-ones and nil-nils that um, led to, like, not protest, but like some unsettlement around around Brighton fans. It wasn't pure adulation for Potter. It was largely that, but there was a, a small vocal minority that was just like, yeah, this, this is stale dominance. Um and and we want we want a bit more. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see this adjustment period for him, how he kind of reflects on it. Now he has some time off, and how he adapts to to the bigger club, to the bigger players, everything like that. So yeah, I, I I'll be honest. Anyone who can tell you for sure, aside from being a shapeshifter, what his Chelsea is meant to look like, they're a better analyst than me. Um, there's bits and bobs, but it's it's definitely not clear and i think that's my concern is i'm not sure the players are entirely clear yet um mm, yeah I'd agree either i think I, I think salzburg and brighton like you say the attacking wingbacks i think that's the biggest clue we have so far attacking wingbacks and a diamond um and and trusting the back three to really defend as a three um rather than a five i think they're the first the earliest clues but yeah maybe maybe he just needs that midfield to 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 really to really deliver on on the dominance that he he expects. All right, number two, and this kind of links is is what manager profile is from from Toby Toby Tobin, shout out Tobes. Uh, what what manager profile best suits a rebuild? And he sort of mentioned that you know to kickstart one, arguably you might need non European campaigns, and and that is massively important for especially for a new coach who's trying to get ideas across. Like I don't think people quite appreciate. Um, you play on a Sunday, then you probably have a day off or a recovery day on a Monday. You'll train on the Tuesday, but you might be you're probably playing in Europe on the Wednesday if you played on a Sunday. You can swap that for Tuesday, Saturday if you want. Um, then you've got another sort of recovery day after a, after a fixture, maybe a day off, off on the Thursday. And then maybe you've got one, two training sessions to prepare for the weekend. Um, and I think for a, for a manager like Potter, um, who clearly is given a lot of information, a lot of flexibility, and if this happens, do that, and this, that, and da 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 I think that's impacting him maybe more than it would impact uh, a more sort of simple, strict pattern to play manager. Um, but so what manager profile do you think suits a rebuild? Is he the right one for a rebuild? Um, he, he might well be, but what's your take on, is there a type, is there a profile of manager that best suits 
um, a rebuild or indeed whatever Chelsea are doing now because it doesn't exactly feel like a rebuild looking at the squad. Um, and and yeah, so I guess, I mean, I've sort of answered the non-European campaign bit already there, but how, how what mm. profile of managers do you think is key for, for a rebuild in terms of, in terms of, the two, three-year project that it's looking like we might have ahead of us. Yeah, the, just to, to add on to the, the the European stuff, it's really interesting when you sort of think about, you know, sort of the different styles of manager. And again, you know, there are there are obviously different nuances here, but I would say, you know, you, you maybe would have a like a man manager, like a Zidane or an Ancelotti who is more about sort of the, the connection with the players and, and, and having that ability to extract out of, uh, you know, performances out of people without necessarily being the, the coach on the on the training pitch or doing or, or taking the majority of the sessions, how they they cope a little bit better in in that sort of you know kind of midweek and uh, and weekend kind of slog because they don't necessarily rely on that contact time with players. Whereas I think Potter, you know, really really good observation that yes, is somebody who probably wants to spend you know what and loved Brighton spending ages on the training pitch with players and getting lots of you know two three days in a row, you know, probably longer you know between Premier League games without being in Europe. Um, I think perhaps he's is suffering from that lack of ability to sit for, you know, two, three days with players and really drill into them the ideas and, and how he wants to play. And, and that maybe is is something that Chelsea have to factor in. And certainly, as you say, when it comes to the European question, playing every three days for the, for a season, um, you know, you don't have an awful lot of time and, and certainly to communicate your ideas. And if that is how you coach, if that is how you get information across the players, if that how you if how you get players to buy in is through that contact time it obviously makes it incredibly difficult and perhaps something that I think maybe, you know, as we're talking about it now, probably wouldn't have been factored into to the way that Chelsea went about hiring Potter in, in terms of his managerial style. In terms of the profile that fits, I think I think he's an interesting profile because, you know, it, it ties into, I suppose, the recruitment plan. It appears to be that Chelsea are going to go back to trying to find like elite young talents elite sort of under 23s and sort of that is going to be the way that they 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 do things they develop talent they sign the you know the the, the hazards the de Bruyne's, whoever it's going to be the oscars etc you know and, and they try and develop them into that level of player that helps you compete for titles and, it, and if that's the case then you need a a coach to to really bring that out of place somebody who is very hands-on somebody who has a great coaching staff somebody who can get players from you know a level where, where they're happy to to come to Chelsea and be signed for Chelsea to, to potentially being you know earmarked for roles at Real Madrid and whoever it might be in the future you have to have that ability to translate from you know a good prospect into somebody who is is going to be a difference maker in Europe so, so perhaps from that perspective if you're looking at the alignment of the potential recruitment model that Chelsea are going to enact with Potter's coaching style then, then it does seem somebody like that is a good fit. I, I, I kind of tend to think somebody like maybe Pochettino, you know, with that, I suppose, similar kind of outlook on on coaching and contact time and and, and style in from that perspective, but having a little bit more of a, uh, I suppose, a, a, you know, used to to managing and coaching teams of a slightly bigger bigger magnitude, maybe would would fit from a from a direct name standpoint. But I do think that that you know that Potter has the ability to to you know sort of I think elevate himself into that conversation and actually become a, a person that, that can spearhead a, a rebuild at Chelsea it, it will obviously be an adaptation uh can he can he communicate in uh in, in smaller amounts of contact time with players can he communicate his ideas can he he translate the the style of play that he wants with you know as you say maybe one two detailed training sessions a week versus four or five 
that's going to be something that he has to learn and, and, and work on. But I think from a from a profile standpoint, if you look at the recruitment and look at potentially what Chelsea will need to develop talent, I think somebody like Potter is is going to be uh, is going to be a useful profile and hopefully is somebody that that actually works with. Yeah, and I, I, what I'm I'm going to combine a few of these because some of them are sort of overlap. So there's there's one from from Blue Mark EP, which is what are the tactical differences without Reese James and. I think, I think, and there's one that I, he's not asked it, but Elliot Stapley, who's a mate of mine, is he's asks me every day, if not, he's asking the direct uh, the podcast. Um, and and Dan Fuller asked this as well, why we don't have right wing back cover. Um, so I mean, the tactical differences without Reese James. I mean, I'm not sure if there's so much tactical differences as just he's so they good. Are world, they are world class <laughs> player differences, right? Like yeah. I think, I think. Obviously, you're gonna build from that side less when the player is is um, is just not as good, is not as key, not as creative, not as impactful, not not as good. Um, so I, I I don't know if you've seen anything in particular that you do think there are tactical tactical differences, and if they are, what are they? And if not, why don't we have adequate cover? Uh, adequate cover. So so why can't we just sort of throw in a right wing back who can who can replace Reese? Is that is that almost as big? A, considering how much time he spends on the treatment table, unfortunately, is that as yeah. big an oversight for us um, as as the midfield? Or do you see the Loftus Cheek, Aspiliqueta, Trevor Chalabar, even for fifteen minutes, Conor Gallagher? <laughs> um, right wing back by committee uh, approach as as okay because there is just no replacing someone of that quality. What's your kind of take on how we differ and and why we don't have cover and whether we should? So I think from a tactical perspective, uh, it, it's strange because considering I, I think Reese is probably our most threatening player. Like he is, he is a player that when he is in the final third, you absolutely as a team have to get to him. You have to account for him. You know, his ability to, to shoot, his crossing, his passing, his physical... Like, he literally is like an incredible world-class player. So you have to account for him. But the amount of times that we actually get him into space is is amazing considering he probably is the, the one player that you wouldn't necessarily want to give space to. So from a tactical perspective, it's it's almost like we we want to be more aggressive and play those switches and move the ball a bit quicker to, to almost work him into, into space. And I, I certainly see... You know, again, I feel like I'm hounding on Aspilicueta here, but I mean, it, it's the most stark contrast, isn't it? When Aspi is out there, there's just no urgency to move the ball out wide, and I think we just suffer a complete lack of width. And I saw that against Newcastle, there was there was zero width, there was zero width, uh, you know, high and wide in terms of trying to to take advantage of the, the sort of two narrow number tens we were playing with Gallagher and, and Mount. Um, and it, it, the tactical differences, I think, can just be summed up as you said that Reese James is a player who is I think one of the few, if not the only player in, in the final third for Chelsea that teams really have to have to account for. You know, he, you have to game plan for how to stop him. Um, and even when you have, even when you know that it's coming, even when you know that the ball's going to get switched to him, even when you know he's the most dangerous player on the pitch, time and time again, telling crosses, goals, assists, you know, creativity, you know, ability to, to hold the ball in, in that final third, to, to link well with other players. Um, I think it just comes down to the fact that he's just such a such a ridiculously ridiculously talented talented guy. Um, you know, and I, again, it, it in terms of that that sort of depth question, I was surprised, and not because I think that Dujon Sterling is like a phenomenal footballer. Like he's he's not anywhere near you know Reece James in terms of ability. But you know, we you know I've I've often spoken about having players who are like stylistically similar. 
you know, not, not always, you know, you're never ever going to find a player like Kante, you're never going to find a player like Reese James, but you can have players who can do bits and pieces of their game. Like, like Stijon Sterling is a very physical, very athletic, you know, attack-minded, right-sided player who can get up and down, has an engine, you know, and, and, and may not, you know, may not have anywhere near the amount of Reese's quality on the ball. But if you're looking for somebody to be that sort of outlet on the right-hand side who can get up and down, who who can give you width, can still have that that pace, that power, that ability to get across in, I was surprised that, that we that we didn't retain him because when you're looking at, at you know the use of Ruben out there, they're using Ruben because he is fairly similar, you know, to to Reese James. He's got the physicality, he can he can dribble, he obviously he can he can sort of retain possession. Uh Connor Gallagher, it's similar kind of experiment, physicality, legs, you know, et cetera, some of the, the traits that Reese has. Um, I was surprised that they didn't get um they didn't get uh, you know, or, or give Dijon Sterling an opportunity to to back up in that respect and you know when we signed Kukurea for 60 million I probably would have looked to have spent if that if that money was available on a, on a wing back somebody maybe it was probably worth spending some of that on somebody to, to back up a, maybe a young player younger player to back up uh Reese James on that right hand side because you know without him in the team we have completely fallen off a you know fallen off a cliff in terms of form and, and while you're never going to fully you know compensate for the fact that he's not playing the fact that the I think that the options to to deputize for him are so different in terms of how they play and how they operate and, and everything they bring to the table, it actually makes it very difficult for the team to have any sense of, of continuity. All right, Senator Jake, ad break, and then wrapping it up for this episode of the Tinkerman, this two-parter of the Tinkerman. So thank you to our sponsors and uh, stick around. If you're bored of the US Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you with over 5,000 plus server options. No show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue, you can receive a huge discount on a two year plan plus one free month. We all love to binge, but look, privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an affected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk when you use our 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue you a refund. You can pretend the entire situation never happened. Check out my link again. That's nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue to get your subscription started today. Uh, may I ask who you'd be playing at left back? I guess Lewis Hall sorted you out there and hopefully that, <laughs> I was about to say with yeah, exactly. injury, it's almost it was almost reassuring that we signed left back. Um, yeah, I think that's fair and I think Neil Bath, I, I tweeted today, hopefully brings a sort of there's rice and chips at home or there's rice and bread at home or there's rice and meat at home. Um, we're not going McDonald's because it's all in the, in the fridge uh, approach to the transfer market and someone um, on the Twitter, I, I forgot the app, but um, someone rightfully asked today um so they said i once said is uh jules kunde 50 million better than trevor trevor Chalaba? it was uh mr chalasani he said 
is Kukurea 62 million better than Lewis Hall? And I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, not at all. Right, moving on. Um, thoughts on Trevor Ceiling? He's obviously had a really, really good season in general. I think he still has moments where he sort of blindly follows into midfield or, or isn't aware of the third band run getting behind. But I think he's improved in general. I think he's good in the air. I think he's got much better in the air, isn't he? Yeah, he has got better in the air. Arguably, arguably been the best performing um, centre-back, including Koulibaly, Silva and, and Kukurea of the season. I would say Silva might still pip that just for the early season form, but um, I think Trevo's knocking on that door um, easily. So so what do you, what do you see of, of his ceiling? Um, I always find this one an interesting question, but, but what's your take on it? I think he's been really good this this season. Um, I think you're right. He he might be might be the best performing centre back we've had. Um, Silver's had a few moments, but I just think that's because he's been asked to play way too much, and he is literally trying to hold together at times a a team that looks like it can't defend. You know, a child trying to take a sweet out of their hand at times. So um, I think probably you know I, I think he's improved a lot in in lots of areas. I think I think the ceiling question is interesting. I, I know. Palumi hates the, the term ceiling, so I'm just going to keep using it. Um, but the, the, the ceiling aspect there, the improvements that he's made this season, particularly in the air, um, and I think also his his general, I think just defensive like instincts, I think have improved a lot. The fact that he's made such an improvement by playing, um, I, I think he can certainly be a Chelsea level player for for the next however many years he's here if he continues to show this sort of improvement. Definitely, as you say, needs to to continue to to work on his awareness, particularly runs off the back of him. And I don't, I'm not always 100% certain that when that cross comes in from the right-hand side, if he's playing on the right or, you know, or sorry, from the left-hand side, um, that he really knows what's behind him at times. And, and, and maybe that, you know, he's just, he's just such a good athlete that he can sort of recover at times. But I think he's, he's made some fantastic defensive challenges and he looks so much more assured. He he's, seems to be growing in, in confidence in, in possession as well. Um, be curious to see where he would fit in the future of a, a back three. You know, at the moment, if you look at, I suppose, players under contract, you've got a, a potential back three of, of maybe Fafana at right centre half. You've got Chalaber in the middle and Levi Colwell on the left. It's quite a physically imposing and, and very interesting set of players with different sort of profiles. You've got some nice technical quality with, with Levi and, 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 and Chalaber in the middle. You know, Fafana is... Uh, you know, maybe not the, the greatest pass, but obviously has a lot of potential from a, a pure centre-half perspective. So there is an interesting group there, but I think Trev is, is starting to emerge for me as a bit of a, uh, you know, a bit of a force in the team and, and really, I think, has taken his chance, you know, with Fafana being injured, really taken that with with two hands. And I think at the moment, it's probably one of the first names on the team sheet for, for Graham Potter, showed his versatility by by sort of playing a bit of right-back-ish kind of position, you know, recently as well. And, you know, still has that flexibility to, to maybe even step into to midfield and just be your kind of very, very standard, box-standard holding player and, and, and somebody who will be give you a bit of physicality in there as well. But purely on the centre-half perspective, I, I think he can be a Chelsea-level player for, for a few years. Um, needs to, as you say, needs to continue to work and develop. But I think his development this season has been very impressive and certainly should give people confidence that if he plays more and gets more minutes... You know that he can be a, a player that is going to be a, a, a. I don't know if he'll be a regular for Chelsea in the future, but if he continues to develop, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he is that middle centre back for the next couple of years, particularly in a post uh, Thiago Silva world. Yeah, fair. Uh, next one, most concerning thing about 
Potter's reign so far from Bassman93, who is a quality follow, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah most, is, concerning, yeah, most, con- most concerning thing about Potter's reign so far for you? Um, it might be the roll neck. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They, it, it, maybe maybe oh, the it only European comes out neck. for Europe, though, which always yeah. kills me. Um, yeah, I, I love that he's got a European outfit. That his, his missus clearly dresses him in because she knows he's going to be on the TV. Um I think, I mean, we've touched on it, I suppose, through this episode. I think it is the, it's the chopping and the changing of, of the systems. Um, you know, if you kind of spoken about it a, a bit more, I suppose now, but if you've got such little time with the players and your whole coaching success and ethos is about contact time and communicating ideas, switching between back fours, back threes, different kinds of wing backs, different kinds of whatever it might be, different ways of playing, you know, direct, short, build up, whatever it might be, that, probably isn't going to work for you in the long term given how you know how often we play how little time we spend on the training pitch how much you know work is 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 there to be done for a single kind of playing style to develop so it's probably again it's going to sit in that ballpark of i think we are being i think a little bit too uh, haphazard with with selections when it comes to shape and tactics and things like that i would like to see a little bit more consistency there and i think the other thing which i touched upon probably a little bit earlier was i i want him to to sort of find his kind of version of, of pragmatic with this team. If it's something that looks like Tuchel, then fair enough. If it's another way of doing it, then then that's absolutely fine. But I don't like this sort of like uh, kind of purgatorial state we have with tactics where we're not really playing to the strengths of the forwards. We're not really playing to the strengths of the, the guys at the back. And it it, it, can, it sort of reflects in the the performances we've, we've seen, particularly in, uh, in the Arsenal and Newcastle games. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um... This one is from, well, it's from Jordan Sports by Stats, but then I've got uh, the the last one is from Gerard Slip 2013. What an app that is. Um, Thoughts on Kante and Jorginho contracts. So Jordan's interested in if there's any uh, fee that you would keep either. Um, I I mean, I can guess which one you might keep more than the other. Um, And (laughs) under what circumstances would you keep either? Or would you you just think you need to rip the bandage off and yet, boom, uh, build past them? Gerard Slip, Really interesting one though that he's thrown Thiago Silva into that, and I, I still think Thiago Silva has performed well. I think he's being asked to do uh, more difficult things and being dragged around the place more. Um, but I'm just—I've always had a little worry about after the World Cup, um, another international tournament in the legs, 38 years old. Um, I'm just interested in that one. But then apparently he was the one showing Endrick around the training ground, so maybe he just needs a contract for life. Um, but yeah, where are you on on those free contracts in particular, who are all obviously out of contract by the end of this season? So, in what what may be a uh, an exclusive, it, it's probably Jorginho that I would I would probably if you're going to extend somebody, and this might sound that absolutely is, crazy that is coming from me. That is shocking. Um, and I, I, I would say that this is this is a very very relative statement. And actually, you said it earlier today. Nah, you're backtracking already. That. You're backtracking already. At first, it was. Breaking news, shocking, and then you're saying, "Oh no, no, relative, relative, relative." It's it's relative that I, I think he's been probably the best performing central midfielder, although that is not necessarily the sort of ringing endorsement that it might be. So, um, if, if we're going to, I mean, Kante, I, I think Kante physically, you know, once those those gifts were were declining at the rate where he can't get on the pitch and they don't know what's going on, and it's sort of this continued setback after setback. 
you wonder just how much is left in the tank there. And, you know, as much as I think he's one of the most defensively intelligent players I've ever seen, that was coupled and was really executed and, and I suppose enabled by just that ability to get around the pitch. He's got one of the best engines and acceleration and ability to close. And when you start seeing him getting sort of second best into duels that he would win comfortably and, and looking half a second late to challenges, which I felt before he got injured, I was starting to see a little bit more from him. Um, curious to see, you know, sort of what, what that looks like in the second half of the season. But certainly as things stand, I think letting him potentially leave, you know, again on a free is, is painful because then there's probably some value there. But, you know, finishing his career up in France at PSG or whoever it might be um, is, is probably going to be something that happens with him. Um, I think, you know, if we're looking at sort of continuity and, and leadership and, and and somebody I think might be might be useful to have, certainly in, in European games, um, you know, Georgina would probably be somebody that I would be maybe looking at. I, I think his salary demands of doubling his contract are, I mean, I'm not going to really give my, my, my real thoughts on that there. I just think it's a little bit ambitious from his agent, uh, putting it very politely there. But if you could resign him on similar wages or hundred K a week or whatever that might look like, um, just a sort of an experienced figure in a midfield that probably is going to look very, very different next year. Um, but also somebody who I think when it comes to European knockout games, you know, putting him in a midfield that has more legs around him and actually maybe has some, some physical players that can let him sort of sit and, and control that that European tempo is probably worthwhile keeping, I think, if you're, if you're really sort of looking at it from a from a serious perspective. So Jorginho probably, I think, we would be nowhere near the 200 grand a week or whatever was quoted in the in the press about that. I think that's just an obscene amount of money for somebody who I don't still don't think is, is a particularly decent sort of Premier League player or, or really conducive to Chelsea or, 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 you know, going to be an integral part of Chelsea winning a Premier League title. Um, but in Europe, the quality definitely is is there. And I think, again, if you were to surround him with legs, you could get away with with playing him and have that experience in the team. So Georgie is probably probably the one of the two uh, that I think probably has utility beyond this season. Although, again, I think a return to Italy is, is probably on the cards for him. And Thiago, I would just give him a contract for as long as he wants to play football. Um, I think, again, if you can get the... Get Fafana back if you can maybe see where Levi Cole is at the, sort of the beginning of, of preseason. Trevor Chalabar and, and maybe, I don't know if you're signing another centre-half, but having Silver in that room with those young guys as the experienced guy who maybe comes in and plays the big games in the middle or whatever that looks like, I think that would be uh, an important signing. And again, if you've got a guy who can, you know, show, you know, the best young talents of Brazil around the training pitch, um, you know, absolutely be, be more than happy for him to do that for the next two, three seasons. But yeah, I, I would look to try and renew him. I think he's he's still been very, very good this season. It's just, you know, you, you cannot expect a, a 38-year-old to continue to show the levels that he did when he first came, when he's playing like, you know, two, three times a week. Um, but yeah, him him, I look definitely would look to renew. Uh, Jorginho would be very much dependent on the salary. Uh, I think Kante at this point in time, Barring again, it's not out of the realms of possibility because because Kante has done insane things and recovered insanely before. But you know what he was looking like before he got injured, the injury he's had, the the fact that it just seems to be a setback after setback. I would be inclined to potentially let him go. Um, and I think again, him and Jorginho, and and probably Cover at this point as well, re kind of rebuilding probably involves moving on from them. I would say this summer as well. So be be, be kind of in line with that. Oh, um, so, I mean, you've talked about Silver, and and we talked talked about this at the top um, of the episode about how Silver's game has aged so gracefully, and and maybe this players won't. But Martin asked, um, mentioned that Koulibaly struggled a bit. I think I think Koulibaly has the the bad case that he's he's made some really big errors. 
Um, I think generally he's been okay, but then he's he's been poor for um, the Newcastle goal. He goes to the ground far too easily. I think the what was imperious timed slide tackles in Italy, he's he really has to get right, and he's not getting right here. Um, bit heavy footed at times. I think he's been okay in the air, um, but he's generally struggled a bit. I think that's fair to say. Um, Martin kind of asked what made him a good signing. I would argue that for a Rudy replacement, it was almost as like for like as you could get and as, as perfect as you can get. I think he's still been good in possession in that role. Um, but what does he need to do to adapt to the Premier League? And I guess more specifically is, is are you writing Koulibaly off or do you think he might adjust that 31? It, it does feel to me like a player that maybe should have been signed three years ago. Um, you get slower in your 30s and also you just get very accustomed to your routine and your pace of play and where you're playing. And so I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts to that one. Is Koulibaly a write-off or or could he could he still come good? I mean, he might be. He might be a right. And I'm not, I'm not saying it is in that he's, as you say, he's not this absolute horrific player that is is costing us games week after week. But I, I think of, like, it, it took Antonio Rudiger an awful lot of time coming from Italy with a very similar, like, initial play style, quite rash, you know, overly aggressive, you know, trying to win the ball where he couldn't. Maybe sort of used to be so physically dominant in Italy that you can get away, as you say, with some of those challenges. And and you know it took it took a manager in, in Thomas Tuchel, but also you know, there, obviously there are, there are patches where he he played a bit better before that. But you know it took him a, a long time, I think, to lose some of that um, kind of rashness and and impetu, um, sort of impetuousness from his from his game um, at 31. I don't know if you've got the years. Um, you know, one season, two seasons, whatever it might be, with with sort of the physical decline potentially that's on the table, to to sort of readjust and 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 have that kind of um, sort of journey to to becoming a very very complete centre back who plays on the edge but maintain that edge and, and didn't necessarily cross over it all the time. Um, so you know, it, it almost feels like at the moment, yes, that he's getting booked almost every single game that he plays in. It's just like a bit of a walking yellow card. And as you say, the you know. The, the the sort of the dancing before the goal for for Newcastle was was a little bit kind of painful to watch and it it, it didn't age well in in the replays as well and certainly in the highlights that I've watched back, um, so I don't know if he's a complete write off um, and, and maybe it it requires him moving into that central role where he's a bit more protected and he can you know he can have more time with the ball and be the distributor maybe that is a way to that we eventually have him as that experienced kind of Thiago Silva replacement in the middle. I think at the moment there's a little bit that you've touched on the wide centre backs at Chelsea, very very exposed, getting asked to do an awful lot of one v one defending, defending in channels, you know, defending an awful lot of space that centre halves aren't normally used to. And I don't think that that is making him look particularly particularly decent as well. So potentially we're looking at hopefully a, a shift to that that central centre back role. Um, where he can use his distribution and, and maybe take a little bit of a, a foot off the accelerator and not have to cover so much ground. Maybe we'll see him develop into a good signing there. But I think at the moment, if he's going to be playing in his wide centre-back roles, the 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 way that he's playing, the, the yellow cards, the, the over-aggressiveness, the rashness, the clumsy challenges being caught in space, being caught, you know, one-on-one and, and not necessarily having great the, the great positional sense at the moment in, in the Premier League, uh, he's not necessarily looking as a you know, as, as good an Antonio Rudiger replacement as I think many would have hoped for. And, and at his age, you have to question how much development and how much he can adapt and change his game at this point in his career. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and then two two short ones to finish. Brendan Tarney asked a few, and he I think he purposely gave us enough coverage to take us into the World Cup. But shout out Brandon. <laughs> um, 
Uh, I've just picked one, right? Your least favourite football stat, because there's a few good ones, but your least favourite football stat. As in, oh. when you look at a match report, what do you think? Yeah. Why are we even counting this? Oh, that's a good one. Uh... God, I, I don't even know where to start with this. Have you got one? Uh, I find possession pretty pretty dead, um, especially now that you have things like field tilt, um, passes in the final third, just stuff that's so much more uh, significant. The fact that we still have possession like as the, the most basic, essential kind of first thing you read, I find funny. Um, but obviously it's going to take time for those other ones to, to sort of come out. Um, uh, when people when people highlight um, times ball is lost, especially for fullbacks who spend half their game crossing, which half the time, by definition, you're going to lose the ball. Um, I find that one a bit silly. Uh, and I guess just aggregating the scores for stuff like that. Um, Kevin De Bruyne loses the ball a lot and it's because he tries risky things. Um, so, yeah, I think that, I think they're probably my two. Just the ones that are very, very oversimplifications of possession and actions on the ball. Um, and and I guess I guess maybe I don't hate I don't dislike them I think they're valid but I think the the progressive passes slash carries yeah has now that was the new one I was picking up it's yeah just, it's just been it's just lost all meaning because someone can progress it ten yards out of the back four and be put on the same graph as someone who's progressed it um, past the right back so uh, so yeah I think they're my ones that I just sort of roll my eyes a little bit um, they all are valid but I think when you just put everything out into the public with, without any critical thinking it's not really what it's there for um, so yeah I, I guess they're, I guess they're passes, my ones yeah, yeah that, that was that was the one that was coming ones. to mind and but it's, think... the problem with progressive passes is they're very valid for the right player if you section it off on the pitch etc cetera, etc cetera. but when you just got it for the centre back hitting the a really well in the wing back and it coming back to the center back <laughs> do you know what i'm not a big ex- expected threat fan either i think that's very biased towards the wings where you just gain a lot of territory by going down the line um and I, it does make me laugh when i see oh most progressive receivers in the premier league and eight of the players play for city it's like yeah that's <laughs> lost all meaning that is a system stat um so yeah i think my i think my mate my overall my overall frustration is maybe just stats without any context of appreciation for systems and context of yeah. the game and everything like that i'd love to see more game state based stuff but it's, it's hard to get um cool and then and then last one and this is from sam mcmullen who's who's always engaging Charles sam is um, he is convinced, he's absolutely convinced um, that the away team always plays towards the shed and the away supporters um, in the second half. And he's convinced, I think this is tongue in cheek, that that's why we can see so many late goals. Nothing to do with the poor players or lack of uh, mental strength, but that's why, because the away team are facing their away fans in the second half towards the end of the game. So he asked if we have any of our own totally rational Again, tongue-in-cheek, pet peeve. So what is your most irrational Chelsea pet peeve? Oh, this is an interesting one. I, I've, I got think mine. It's, I've got uh, mine, but I don't think it's irrational, but you can go. Yeah. I think my my irrational one was that uh, that there was a period at Chelsea where uh, it didn't matter where on the pitch we took an indirect free kick from, we always hit the wall. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, we're not far off that with corners at the moment, to be fair. I was going to say corners and, and free kicks, because I think there was one where I, I just remember William having a set piece and it was miles out and there was a one-man wall and you're thinking there is no way a professional footballer could not stick this in the penalty box. And I think he hit the guy in the chest. And from that point on, every single time, I'm just like, we, we can't we can't put a corner in. We literally, we, we cannot take corners. We cannot take set pieces. We cannot take set pieces. Um, that's probably one of my rational ones. I think maybe the other one as well is that uh, um, if if a player in the, before the game, so if you're watching on television, if a player has had a stat that comes up that says they haven't scored for X amount of games or they've, you know, something hasn't happened for a period of time, inevitably that player will score or do something against Chelsea. That That is my other rational fear as well. And that always, I think that happened very recently where there was a guy who, hadn't scored for like three million years. And then of course, you know, bang, bangs in one or two goals against us. And it just seems to be, again, something that happens with uh, with regularity. Well, I mean, it was good for the uh, winless Roberto De Zerbi to absolutely school the undefeated Graham Potter as well. That was good. Um, I think my one's irrational. It's, it's mentioning Tottenham in the liquidator. It's how many stairs it takes to, to get to Matthew Harden-Upper. Um And oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think they're, they're probably, they're probably my ones, but um but yeah, so I, I don't know about irrational ones. I'm gonna have to think about that, and I'll probably get back to Sam on Twitter. But, um, but yeah, look, it's been good. I think this is like just to remind people, this has been more a sort of a decompress how we see the Potter and Clear Lake situation. I guess um, not as much sort of detail on the matches, yeah, microscopic how we'd usually do it in terms of Newcastle, Arsenal, City, and Zagreb. But I think just with the way where the fans are at the moment, I wasn't sure if that would be. Um, pertinent right now to really dig deep on just how bad we've been. I think taking a step back and being a little bit more big pitch is probably more appropriate. Um, but I think Graham Potter's got a very, very... Um, oh, wait, we've got one left, actually. My bad. I think Graham Potter's got a very, very big January. And then to cap it off with the last word, the last of the Tinkerman 10, is from Stephen Reynolds. Um, and by the time we next record, after all the World Cup specials will probably have more of an indication about whether this is true next time we do a proper normal Tinkerman is to finish us off Joe do we go big in January or do we save for summer what do you expect what's your prediction that the board do I think they're going to make one big signing I think they're going to go and buy a midfielder and I think that that could be quite a high profile player um I think they're going to have to as well. So my, my prediction is that we go big and sign somebody over 70 mil in January. And I think that will be a midfielder. Love that the figure's in there as well. All right, mate. Cool. Exactly, thanks, of course. Thanks for your time. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for your time. It's been uh, good to maybe have a more rational conversation about everything than, than you're going to get on Twitter. Um, but uh, but yeah, until next time, it's been the Tinkerman um, and there will be a lot of cool um, specials coming up over the World Cup in terms of front office stuff we've really coined the front office thing now rather than committee or, or board um but front office stuff um going to be looking at there's a few quite a lot of questions on midfield profiles and attacking we're going to go into something a little bit well detailed for that as well um and and some other cool stuff as well so so yeah keep it locked uh to london and it's blue and all the other quality shows that the boys and girls have um and yeah uh thanks again joe thanks for your time it's been the tinker men and if we don't see you over the world cup we'll see you back for Chelsea games, microscopic detail, hopefully of better performances. Yeah, and uh, I completely echo that. I'm I'm looking forward to the December content. It's actually nice to maybe not look at the games uh, as they're happening because I know it's a, a slightly different perception at times, but it'd be nice, as you say, I'm, I'm looking forward to that real tactical deep dive on, on what's happened and potentially what we can do for the second half. But as always, thanks for listening, Chelsea fans, and we will see you in the next one. Cheers.